0: Welcome, Mama. You've got your hands full, I know. As a mama for myself, I can relate to the exhausting days of motherhood with wiping messy faces, correcting attitudes, and picking up those countless piles of laundry. But I have found that if we search deeply and open our hearts, we can experience motherhood in a whole new light. By applying biblical principles, we can have joy, we can have peace, And we can have purpose in motherhood. Join me weekly for a little spiritual water for your weary soul. Hi there, Mama. Welcome to the Purpose of Motherhood podcast. I am Ashley Castin. I am a mom of four and the author of Lessons I Found in the Laundry Basket. It's great to have you here today. So we are going to be talking about joy in the middle of national chaos. Um, And to be totally honest, this is not what I had planned on talking about tonight. Um, We're in the middle of a series on joy in the home and creating a joyful home. And I had a completely different topic for tonight in that series, but I really felt like the Lord was stirring my heart for what's going on in our nation. And I just realized that so many of us are finding ourselves in the same situation where maybe we feel a little discouraged and we're looking towards the future and there's a lot of uncertainties and so i wanted to speak to this specific time tonight and kind of bring that topic full circle so how, what does joy look like today in this circumstance that we're in in the middle of national um, turmoil and chaos and confusion and uncertainty what does that translate to when we're trying to bring joy in that situation how do we do that in our own homes so how do we um, you know? show this situation to be um, in a joyful light to our children and even our spouses how do we influence them in that way the bible tells us to rejoice in all things but sometimes that's really difficult to do and um it really takes a lot of um, prayer and time with the lord to kind of switch our hearts over to okay you know what is the lord saying during this time and where are his eyes at and how can i rejoice in this situation so we're going to talk about that, and there's some key lessons that we're going to be able to teach our kids out of this, um, you know, national crisis that we are going through. So my girls and I, um, we have this nightly routine where we pray before bed, like many of you probably do too, and um, we t- we honestly, we pray for a wide variety of things, and here's why, because I have always taken the stance with my girls that I want to be able to have conversations with them about a lot of deep topics while they're in our home and while they're at these, you know, kind of young ages where they're still forming, you know, their beliefs and their identity and all that. I want to be able to unpack a lot of these things because whether we like it or not, they're going to be exposed to some heavier issues or even just keywords words. From um, you know either the TV being on at someone's house and they hear it in the background, or a conversation with adults that they overhear, or kids at school talking, whatever um, you know influences they're surrounded by, they're going to hear some um, even just buzzwords that are going to kind of spark their curiosity to hey, what is that? What are they talking about? And I want to make sure that they know that that's an open topic at our home. There is nothing that you cannot talk about within our walls there's nothing that's going to um, you know make me uh, you know, angry or embarrassed or anything that's going to make you feel embarrassed if you bring it up and so we have a lot of heavier conversations now you have to understand I have a wide variety or a wide range of children as far as ages go the oldest being nine and the youngest being four months so I don't talk to all of them in the same way obviously I can't have the same conversation with my three-year-old that I would with my nine-year-old But with the older two, so the nine and six-year-old, I have kind of started introducing them to some of these topics, and we've started to unpack them together. Obviously, the nine-year-old is absorbing more of it than the six-year-old is, but she's still picking up on some, and I am totally fine with that. So, for example, one big topic that we talk about and pray for in our house is abortion, which sounds crazy, right? Like, why would you talk to your children about abortion? It's a It's a very, very heavy topic, and it's horrific, really. So let me explain. First of all, we do not go into details about what that actually entails. Um, That would be way, way too um, heavy on their heart. I would never, ever go through the details of that. I don't even like to think about that myself. And so we don't unpack exactly what that looks like. That's too much for them. But they do know that that means if you are you know for abortion you are against the life of an unborn um, but fully created human being and if you are you know pro-life you are for the um sanctity of that or you know you believe in that that baby deserves life outside of the womb so we've talked about it kind of from that standpoint standpoint that there are people that don't believe that they should have the right to live and there's people that do believe And if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm very pro-life. That's not something I ever try to hide or am ashamed of or I'm not ever worried about offending someone by, you know, stating that I'm pro-life. That is very much just who I am and who we are as a family. And so I want the kids to know that, you know, too. I want to know that, hey, this is what we believe. This is who we are as a family. We are pro-life and we will, um, you know, we will go to the ends of the earth Declaring you know or fighting for the unborn and really just standing in the gap for them, so that's one thing that we pray for at night is we pray for hearts to be softened, hearts to be changed it 's never from an angry standpoint because I want my kids to understand that we fight um with love and with understanding if you fight with anger and frustration and um you know just lashing out at people that 's never going to get through to them, and so we fight our battle, we let God fight our battles, but we Um, approach things, you know, with love and grace and understanding. And so, you know, we pray for hearts to be changed and we pray for people to, um, you know, turn towards the Lord and for them to value life. So we've been praying for that at night and uh, really praying for the election and praying just for justice for these babies. And so, you know, my kids have followed along with this election along with us, not at all from a political standpoint, because I never want them to be controlled by a political spirit. I don't want them to be, um, you know, like, oh, this is who we are. We are, you know, like if you teach your kids, oh, we are Republicans or we are Democrats. They can tend to box themselves into a party when we are not supposed to be controlled by that at all. And we're going to get that, into that in just a little bit. But um, so it's always been from a perspective of what God's heart is and what we want to see accomplished for his kingdom. So they followed along with this election this whole time. And so here we come to the point, you know, where they're starting to think, okay, like, but wait a second, Mom. I'm like, we've been praying and we're believing for these babies. What's going on in this world? Why does it look like, um, you know, why does it look like the ones who are very, very against uh babies and are very open about it you know why does it look like all of a sudden they're winning and we have been praying and we have been praying and, praying and praying and so it just opened up this great opportunity to talk about several key things that I want to share with you today that I think you can share with your kids too even if you haven't been talking about it or praying about it beforehand you can ha- start to have these conversations now because here's the truth we are in a situation um that is Historic. We are in a very historical, um, like monumental moment. This will go down in history, and when we look back on it, we will be able to say, "I was here during that time," and your kids are going to remember it too. But what do you want them to remember? Do you want them to remember the stress of it, and uh, maybe how people didn't want to have conversations and it was awkward, or do you want them to remember that they prayed and they saw God move, and that's when they they learned some valuable lessons through this time. So here are three joyous lessons to teach our kids in the middle of national chaos. Here's the first one, and we need this lesson too. I mean, all of us do. Media, um, whether that be social media or the news, um, or and politics are not our authority. Our only authority is God and his word. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I like to say like peanut butter on uh, bread, lies, rumors, and angry accusations spread easily on media outlets. So anytime you get on social media or the mainstream news, you are going to just be flooded with whatever their opinion is. It could be um, all kinds of accusations and... Um, You know, look at Facebook, right? (laughs) now. If you get on there, I mean, you only scroll three posts and all of a sudden it's someone angry about something, right? Blasting their political opinion. And lies, rumors, it's so hard to tell the truth. Everything seems so, um, you know, absolute. That is not our authority. We do not go off of what the world tells us and the Bible has to be our tuning fork. You can start teaching your kids right now That everything that they accept in their life as truth needs to line up with the word of God. And this is really a lesson for not just in times of chaos, but all throughout life. Anytime that they are going to accept something as truth in their life, they need to be aligning it with the word. What does God's word say about this? I don't care if you are hearing things from a pastor in a church. If what he is saying is not aligning with the word of God, then that is not truth. And that's just showing you that there's some deception going on there or some twisting of the word. And so we need to teach them that. We need to teach them that you just don't go, you know, look at the news and just assume everything is true. You don't get on social me- media and assume everything is true. And you don't just flow. along. We're not, we are not to be conformed to the patterns of the world. So we don't just flow along in the stream of angry political posts or, attacking one another one another that's what the world is doing right now but we are not to be conformed to that and so we can teach our kids that hey you know this is what we're seeing in the world right now but but here's how we are supposed to act as Christians and let them start identifying that for themselves too as they get older that's really healthy to do to teach them how to be identifiers of truth and um, how to spot even lies packaged in pretty packages because a lot of times um, lies are not what we think of you know when we're small children we kind of think of lies as being like blatantly bad right and so you've got the good side over here and you've got the bad side over here you know in a fairy tale the princess is good and then the wicked witch is bad right you just know right away she's bad but that's not how lies often look. They often are p- packaged so professionally and so beautifully that it seems like, hey, this is a good thing, right? Maybe it's a pastor that posts a you know, posts an opinion on politics whatever, you know, the government, something to do with today's issues. And maybe it's completely against what God God's word says, but hey, it's coming from this pastor and he's got some valid points, and so it must be true, right? So we need to teach our kids from a young age to be able to identify lies and to teach them that, hey, it doesn't always come looking like the wicked witch. Sometimes you really have to dig deep and line it up with the word and say, but is this what God says? The other thing you can talk about is um, censorship. That's a big topic right now, and a lot of people are switching from social media thought platforms and all of this because of censorship and no matter what your thoughts are on that there is a valuable lesson in just talking about what it means to have freedom of speech and how we should not take that for granted and what it means to have religious freedom what would it look like if we weren't allowed to share the word of god could you imagine if we couldn't have prayer meetings or if we couldn't say anything to anyone about god without risking our lives that is a true scenario for many people in many other countries we don't see that here and so it's easy for us to think that that's you know not something that could affect us or for it not to be at the forefront of our minds but that's really important for our kids to know and for them to realize how blessed they are to live in a country where we do have freedom of speech the second thing that we can teach them through this situation is that god is never governed by our timeline so there are a million stories in the Bible that you can back this up with. One example would be Lazarus. Jesus waited four days to raise him. Why in the world Jesus would wait? He didn't even leave to go to Lazarus until after two days. By the time he got to him, he had been dead for four days. That doesn't make sense. In our human mind, that makes no sense. You are Jesus. You are the son of God. Why did you not go immediately To go raise him from the dead. Why did you not? Why couldn't you just have spoken the words from where you were at and say, "Lazarus, rise up," and have him be healed right then and there? But we have our own timeline and our own expectation of when events will happen and what they will look like, and so we tend to kind of box God in. And if He doesn't perform in the you know parameters that we've set for Him, then we start to get discouraged and we start to lose faith jesus also jesus was in the tomb for three days how do you think the disciples felt imagine being one of his disciples walking with him um, understanding who he was and the power that he held and then seeing it all unfold first of all he's going to the cross and dying and you're going what the- this is not what i expected i didn't expect for it to happen this way i thought he was going to be the king of israel and all of this you know and here he is dying on the cross but then you're going okay but surely he's not actually going to die right he does die. Then he's in the tomb and he's in the tomb for days. You know, completely outside of what you expected God to do. But then he rose again and he came through. And we see this again. Daniel is another example example of this. He prayed for 21 days before getting an answer. He was fasting and praying and waiting for an answer from the Lord. He didn't get it for 21 days. And when the angel finally came to him, he said he had been battling in the spiritual places. I mean, there was a spiritual battle going on between the um, demonic forces and the angels, and it took 21 days of him really pressing into the Lord. Now again, why couldn't that just have happened right away? Why Why did God not answer right when he started praying? God is the only one that knows the answers to that, but what we do see here. Um, And that particular story actually brings me to my next point is that it was because of his persistence in prayer and his obedience that, um, that his prayers were answered and the angel came to him. He was partaking in that spiritual battle as he was praying. And so with our kids, we can teach them through these stories. We can teach them that, Hey, God works through prayers. He's not just a God that does whatever he wants and just expects us to put up with it. One of the biggest lies we tell ourselves as Christians is that um, you know, whatever happens to us is just part of God's will. And really doing that is an insult to the Lord by saying that it's part of God's will. That's really an insult to the Lord because when you look at all the evils in the world, whether they happen to believers or non-believers, um, saying that all of that is the Lord's will is, is telling them that, yeah, it's the Lord's will for you to suffer. It's the Lord's will for um you know, for death to occur or to, for, um, you know, abuse or pain, that, that is completely against his character. And so we have to understand that there are things that, um, that happen because of, of spiritual battles. And we have a huge part to play in prayer. Now, this doesn't mean, I do not mean at all that if something bad has happened to you, it's because that you weren't doing what your, you know, your job in prayer or anything like that. Um, But what I am saying is that we can't have the attitude as Christians of just, well, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, and prayer doesn't really work. It's not really there for a reason. Prayer is absolutely there for a reason. God needs our prayer. The way that he set up his authority um, on earth and the way he works through people is through our prayers, Elijah, in the Bible, this is a great example of how prayer works when he prayed for rain um, he he prayed seven times. The Lord had told him it was going to rain, okay, but he had to pray it in. There was his part that he had to do, and he didn't have to just pray once for rain. Why? I don't know, I'm not God, but he could have done it right? God could have sent rain the first time he prayed, but he didn't. Elijah prayed seven times before it rained when he was praying over the boy to be healed um the story of the woman whose son had died and um, elijah went up to the um, upper room and, and laid on top of him and prayed over him to be raised from the dead he laid on the boy three times why three times why did god not heal him the first time we don't know but what we do see is that elijah's faithfulness and obedience in prayer raise that boy from the dead. That's when God answered his prayer, was on that third time. So this tells us that, hey, our prayers actually do play a part in God's will for this earth and his kingdom purposes. And so as Christians, especially during a time like this, this is the last, the last thing that we need to be doing is putting down our weapons, putting down our weapon of prayer and just saying, well, God's going to do what he wants to do. So we just have to accept that. No, we can absolutely believe for a nation that is under um, the authority of the Lord, for a nation that values the unborn and stands up for them, a a nation that values justice and righteousness and the sanctity of um, marriage. We can absolutely stand for that and teach our children to stand for that too, to teach them that. Your prayers play a part in all of this and when we see this turn around, when we see God come into the picture, I want you to know that your prayers played a part in this. Let's pray now as we close. Lord, I just come to you right now and I lift up every mother to you and her heavy heart during this time, God. I pray that you would just give her a renewed strength and a renewed joy to be able to navigate this season. I pray that you would give us confidence in speaking to our children about what's going on in the national atmosphere, God, and that we would be able to teach them through this time how to be strong in you and how to use your word as their guide and how to follow you as their true authority, Lord. I just pray that you would give us all peace, God, that we would be able to shut off the media. And shut off the noise and really just dive into your heart and what you're saying to us during this time, Lord. I just pray you would bless every mother and that you would give her um, just a strength and a confidence to walk in this next season. In we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.